Hey, this is Stu at Bitcoin Fi, the cross section between financial independence and crypto. And today I wanted to go over some of the more recent headlines we've had in the new year, along with what's going on with the market right now and Bitcoin hanging out in the low $40,000 range and what I'm hearing will happen and what I'm thinking will happen. Let's get started with a few headlines that I'm seeing. I'm not going to go too deep into any of these in particular, but I will just kind of go over at a very high level and then link some of these articles that I'm reading. One of the more intriguing things I found was that Tonga is planning to basically copy and paste El Salvador's Bitcoin law for their country. Back in 2021, El Salvador became the first country to allow Bitcoin as a legal tender and allow you to pay your taxes in it, allow you to use it as a currency just like you would the dollar. And I just found the article on it. It was pretty long. It's about an 8 or 10 minute read. And it goes pretty in depth on how it would work. But Tonga is an island nation. And I don't even think they have a million people in the country. But they have a large percentage of their population that works abroad. That works not in Tonga. You know, they work in Australia or, or somewhere else. I know that there was a lot in Australia and other places. But a lot of these Tongan citizens go out and they work. And then they send money back to Tonga. You know, it's a small Pacific Island nation. And... So they have a ton of remittances, even more remittances than El Salvador. I think almost double the remittances was how the article laid it out. Basically, El Salvador had 20%-ish of their GDP, their gross domestic product. I believe in the average Tongan household, remittances account for 39% of household income. So... Think of all this money that is just transferring through on the old payment rails through Western Union and all of their fees and all the time it takes where it might take three days or five days. I've talked about this before, but it's just an archaic way of sending things when you could just send even a stable coin, like a US dollar stable coin. Obviously, they have their own currency in Tonga that they use. I don't think they are on the dollar exactly. But if you can send Bitcoin and it gets there in a few minutes, instead of going to Western Union, sending $100, getting eaten up with 10% plus in fees, and the recipient having to wait for that money, have to travel to the office for that money, and then go back and like make this whole big journey to do it in some cases, it's pretty interesting. So I thought that was kind of a cool development. Uruguay is also reportedly installing its first Bitcoin ATM. And while I don't think ATMs are the best way to buy crypto, it is still an interesting development. I guess Colombia, Brazil, and Argentina have the most ATMs in South America. And it is one way that crypto adoption is being furthered. Sometime last year, I even saw a sign advertising a Bitcoin ATM in Chicago. I haven't really seen this anywhere else, but I'm sure if I got out more, I would notice it around but another interesting development for bitcoin adoption all right and i wanted to just touch on this interesting fact really quick elon musk is now accepting dogecoin for some tesla merch now if you've heard all my episodes you know that i'm not a huge fan of meme coins like dogecoin or shiba inu but i do have some back in the summer of 2021 coinbase did a promotion for anyone that bought a hundred dollars of dogecoin you had a chance to win 300,000 US dollars worth of Dogecoin. And I was like, you know, 
this is better than playing the lottery because how many people play the lottery versus how many people have a Coinbase account? How many people are actually going to do this promotion in the time period specified? And so I just did it. And I obviously did not win the $300,000 worth of Dogecoin, which I would have immediately sold a good amount of it and tried to stay in my same tax bracket and whatever else. But anyway, I did check out the Tesla shop and some of the merch that you can buy with Dogecoin. Nothing really piqued my interest there, but still interesting how Musk is more into Doge than into Bitcoin. He still has not reversed course and allowed Bitcoin payments for his cars. So anyway, I might be shopping at the Tesla shop just to get rid of this Doge, but we'll see. Maybe I'll get a Cybertruck whistle if I have enough Dogecoin. Okay, another little thing is Eduardo Pays, the mayor of the Brazilian city Rio de Janeiro, he was wanting to allocate 1% of the city's treasury into Bitcoin. So this is another case of institutional adoption and mainstreamification of crypto going on. I didn't read too much into it, but it just makes me think if every city started doing this, if every pension started allocating a little bit, how this would affect the market. It's uh, it's pretty bullish, I think. And I was reading a little bit about the gamemanship, a little bit about the competition and like the game theory, where even countries that currently are very negative on crypto and don't like it may have to start reacting and have to buy crypto and have to get into Bitcoin, even though they don't want to, just to not maybe lose their edge. So I found that interesting because it's another step in that direction. Okay, probably the headline that I saw that was the most interesting recently is there's this billionaire investor named Bill Miller. He has 50% of his personal wealth in Bitcoin now. He is a very famous fund manager that beat the S&P 500 for 15 years in a row from 1991 to 2005, something that is incredibly hard to do, and only about 20% of fund managers will actually beat the S&P 500 in any given year and usually not consistently. So interesting that he has allocated 50% of his personal net worth into Bitcoin. And part of it is apparently tied to some of the publicly traded stocks like Stronghold Digital, which is a Bitcoin mining company, and MicroStrategy, which is the public company that has the most Bitcoin on their balance sheet. So again, I found it very interesting that he has made such a big bet on Bitcoin. I mean, that's showing some confidence there. But his advice for the average investor is to put 1% of their net worth in Bitcoin. Because if that goes to zero, then you only lose 1%. But obviously, it could become much, much more. And this is in line with what Ray Dalio, another hedge fund billionaire, has recommended 1% to 2% into crypto. But basically, he said, when you look at the track record of Bitcoin, nothing else can beat it in the last 10 years. And it's probably going to continue given that worldwide adoption is still around 2 or 3% of the world. What happens when it's 20% of the world or 50% of the world? And not just people, but institutions, public companies, nation states, etc. And what's funny to me or interesting to me is that the other 50% of his portfolio is in Amazon stock. So his portfolio is literally 50% Bitcoin or publicly traded stocks associated with Bitcoin, and 50% Amazon. That's not very diversified and pretty concentrated in just 
two things. So kind of crazy. It's estimated that his net worth is right around $1 billion. So that would be $500 million in Bitcoin and $500 million in Amazon. And I've kind of explained how I've invested in the past in my most recent two episodes where I've got this core and explore of passive index funds that are very broad and they automatically rebalance themselves over time. But I'm getting exposure to pretty much all the companies in America and in the world to some degree. It's about 60% in America, 20 or 30% international. And then I have some REITs mixed in there that are real estate investment trusts and those kick off some dividends and that just gets me into more real estate type stuff. So that's kind of how I do it. Now what I recommend to most people when they're getting into Bitcoin is they should probably just allocate 1% as well. I give a range of 1% to 10% of a portfolio. Or if you are a little bit more aggressive and have all the bases covered, maybe 1% to 10% of net worth. And I did some math here recently and I found that I'm sitting around 11% of my portfolio so that's how I'm weighted and I've got things spread out between crypto mostly Bitcoin and Ethereum but also real estate in my stock portfolio and we also have some business equity and just remember that none of this is financial advice I'm just sharing my journey this is for informational purposes only so please do your own research before you decide to allocate and understand all the risks but that's what I'm here to try and help educate on all right so as far as where the Bitcoin market is heading and where crypto is heading. It's been interesting. I know in some of the early podcast episodes back in, I think, November of 2021, I was talking about Plan B and the stock-to-flow model that he created and how Bitcoin is basically following this within one standard deviation. And it technically still is. He was also using another model called the floor model, which I haven't really looked at. But that's what he was predicting. He was basically calling a minimum price, and he nailed August, September, and October. And then he had these price targets based on the floor model, where he anticipated Bitcoin having a minimum value of 98,000 in November 2021, and then 135,000 in December of 2021. And apparently this model had been extremely reliable, and obviously we did not get there. So he said that that floor model, I don't know if he's really using it anymore. I don't know that I've ever seen it because I've only really seen his stock to flow model and also his stock to cross asset flow, which is a bit more bullish. Basically, the stock to flow model is showing how Bitcoin is going to perform, predicting how Bitcoin is going to perform and has performed when it is priced like gold. And the stock to cross asset flow is expanding beyond gold into multiple different assets. So what if Bitcoin is not just taking market share from gold and not just acting like gold, but what if Bitcoin is taking money that would otherwise go into real estate, that would otherwise go into stocks, so across all assets and not just priced as gold. So the stock to cross asset flow is more bullish and it predicts much higher levels than the normal stock to flow. Basically stock to flow model is showing that Bitcoin maybe should have or will soon run up to 100 to 135,000 before kind of crashing back down potentially to around 40 to 80,000 again. So that's kind of what has historically happened on the stock to flow model is it will overshoot. Right now the stock to flow model says it should be between 70 and 80,000, but it usually will overshoot 
and then it will crash back down to about 50% where it should be. So 40 to maybe 60,000 on the next crash. Now, I'm not sure if this will continue because it's not just retail investors, it's institutions as well that are getting into the Bitcoin space. But that's what the stock to flow model has kind of said. Now, the stock to cross asset flow, it gives a much higher cycle top of about 288,000, if not a little bit higher, based on Bitcoin taking market share from all these other assets. And if it overshoots to that point, that's kind of where it would land is around 250 to 300,000. So I think it's a little too early to say. Now, I could see Bitcoin maybe breaking with these models a little bit more because it's still kind of on track. There's still time. But one of the things I'm seeing is that the market cycle is expanding. Basically, when Bitcoin cuts in half, it's block subsidy. And I've got a blog post if you want to learn more about this. But it's the halving cycle, or the halving cycle. It happens every four years. And basically, Bitcoin will readjust its price based on becoming more scarce. And what's crazy about Bitcoin is 90% of it is now mined. There's only 10% left that will be mined between now and the year 2140. So between now and the next 120 years, the last 10% of Bitcoin will come to market. So it's becoming far more rare. It's just not being created as much as it was in the early days of mining. But in general, what I'm seeing on crypto Twitter and, and elsewhere is that Bitcoin is adjusting its price slower to its increased scarcity than it has in the past. And so I still think we could get to 100,000, maybe 200,000, sometime in 2022 in the next six months is kind of the time frame I'm looking at. But past that point, we're getting actually close to the next halving in 2024. And if the past is any indicator of the future, usually 2023, the third year past the halving, would be the year that it kind of crashes back down. So maybe it's true that the cycles are expanding. I'm not really sure. There was a bit of speculation that institutions were behind a lot of the selling in December because they have to make year-end tax moves that are bigger than retail investors. And maybe institutions were selling in December and then they get new budget. So who knows? That's one thing I was hearing. But long-term, I'm still pretty bullish and I got into it because I still think that there is a 10 to 20x in there and a portion of it I will never sell and a portion of it I may trade here and there, but we'll just have to see. All right, well, that's going to do it for today's episode of Bitcoin Fi and I may have another episode, a bonus episode coming out in the middle of this week. We'll just have to see about how you can earn free Bitcoin. I do have a couple of interview episodes coming up that I'm really excited about that I think are going to provide a lot of value, especially for people that are newer to Bitcoin and crypto, that will help you avoid some of the pitfalls and the common misconceptions that people new to the crypto space experience. So look out for those. And with that, remember that financial independence is doable, and I'll be back with you soon.